Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors, and thank you for being with us again today. I'm your host, Dr. Alan, and I am delighted to be with you today as we delve into the depths of cost segregation and the accompanying tax implications for real estate investors. Eric Oliver holds a Bachelor of Applied Science in Accounting from Westchester College. Prior to joining Cost Segregation Authority, Eric was an operations manager for a multi-million dollar landscaping and design firm in Long Island. Since heading west and joining Cost Segregation Authority, Eric has been speaking at local, regional, and national events. He brings with him a passion for identifying cost savings and educating commercial real estate owners on the benefits of cost segregation. So, Eric, share with us a memorable experience from your formative years that helped you to be who you are today. Yeah, that's a a great question. I love that you lead with that. I would probably take it back to, I played basketball growing up. You probably can't tell I'm sitting down, but I'm six foot six and basketball came uh, fairly easy due to my height. And so I played basketball growing up and one lesson that that I learned that I took with me through throughout my years so far is is really just effort. I actually coach my kids basketball team and I, I I always praise to the boys. I say, listen, I don't care if we win or lose, but we go out there and we fight hard, we work hard, and we leave everything on the court. And so that's something that's always in, in anything that I do, any endeavor, is just put forth the best effort that you can. You know, you never want to walk away with any regrets saying, hey, I should have done this or I should have done that. So that's probably uh, one lesson that I've learned that I will take with me forever. So, Well, a great lifelong lesson, and it certainly does apply to entrepreneurship and investing in real estate. Well, let's get into the nitty gritties here of taxes and particularly cost segregation. So just kind of give us that 365 view of cost segregation. And then we'll delve into some of the details there. Sure. So cost segregation really is just accelerated depreciation on your investment property. So, you know, one of the reasons, one of the benefits of getting into real estate investing is being able to take depreciation deductions against your income. And so normally you take those over either 27 and a half years for residential properties or 39 years for commercial properties. And all cost segregation is, is we're front-loading those deductions. And so instead of letting the IRS hold on to those deductions for 27 and a half or 39 years, what if we can front-load and take a good portion of those in the early years and take the deductions now? Like, again, there's a number of reasons why you would do that. There's inflation, there's time value of money, a number of reasons why you want your money now versus in the future. And the way that's done out is through an engineering-based study where we basically go in and, and segregate the cost of a building. So quick example, you buy a building for a million bucks, you're not just buying the walls and the land, you're also buying some flooring, some appliances, some cabinets, some countertops, a parking lot, some asphalt. There's all these different components that make up a building. And so you would do a cost segregation study to segregate those costs because asphalt, for example, can be depreciated over 15 years versus 39 years. So if you know the value of the asphalt, you now can depreciate that at a much faster rate than the standard deduction. So 
Um, you know, typically you buy a property, you give your CPA the closing statement, they may throw it on the books as a 27 and a half or 39 year asset, but, and that's only because they don't know the value of all the different components. So that's really kind of in a nutshell, what cost segregation is. It's just accelerated depreciation deduction. Well, I wish I'd heard that a long time ago. I've always heard it as cost segregation. Why didn't they just call it accelerated depreciation? And then we'd <laughs> know what they were easier. talking about. <laughs> yeah, a lot easier, a lot less confusion. Yes, absolutely. But of course, the complication comes in the segregation. And that's when we need the engineers, as not just the engineers like you, but also someone who understands that tax code. Because as I understand it, it gets very, very complicated because you can segregate down to not just parking lots, but you can segregate down right to the faceplates on electrical outlets. Is that correct? Um, you know, so we don't actually typically go that far. There is some, sometimes that does play a, a factor, but usually what it is, is it's, there's different categories. There's usually four categories, five year, seven year, 15 year, and then the remaining is 27 and a half or 39. Your five-year category is really your, what they call personal property. So anything inside that's not structural. So again, flooring, depending on the type of flooring, could be flooring, uh, window coverings, garbage disposals, fans, ceiling fans, anything interior usually gets reclassified as a five-year asset. Your seven-year assets is a lot of telecommunication stuff. Uh, not a big category that we segregate, but there is some items we put into seven-year. The bulk of it goes into five and 15, and the 15-year being all your land improvements. So we do get down pretty pretty nitty-gritty on the land improvements. We'll actually count the trees and shrubs. Believe it or not, they are a tax write-off. So we go around the property and count the shrubs and the trees and put a value to those because you can depreciate those over 15 years. So your outside stuff is curbs, gutters, asphalt, irrigation, retaining walls, outside lighting, those types of items that we would segregate into a 15-year category put a value to it and allow you to take those deductions over 15 years. So those are kind of the main categories we're looking for in our study. Really? I, I had not heard about the trees there. Uh, so a tree that has been there, like a 30-year-old oak tree, you can depreciate that in 15 years? Is that is that correct? Or? Possibly. So Possibly. trees are a little bit tricky because if your property backs up to a wooded area, those mm -hmm. trees in the wooded area are just part of the landscape, so they don't count. Um, but if you plant a maple tree out in front of your residential rental home or in front of your office building, there's a cost to that tree. Or if a tree was planted there as part of the land, overall landscaping, then there was a cost to that tree. Um, any natural, naturally occurring trees, you don't get to segregate. But anything that was part of the landscaping architecture, you would be able to, to write off or accelerate. That sounds like kind of a gray area to me because actually... A bird could drop a seed, and <laughs> 10 years later, you wouldn't know if it had been planted there intentionally or the bird dropped it there. So how, a, do you, how do you determine that difference there? So if we can substantiate, so if the bird happened to drop it right in the middle of a flower bed, we would call that a 15-year a asset. If a bird were to drop that towards the back of the property where I've got some, some scrub, scrub oak and other items, maybe we wouldn't count that. So. Um, you know, it's a lot easier on new construction, new construction. Obviously we get architectural plans, we get landscaping plans so we can see every bush and tree. Um, but it is kind of a judgment call when we're out doing the site visits on pre-existing properties. And so, you know, usually the trees that are right around the building, 
um, or out on a park strip. Those are easy to identify. But yeah, there are some judgment calls uh, in what we do, definitely. How do you structure the prices on the cost? How do you come to a cost for for a tree or for a parking lot or any of yeah. those? Are, just uh, take us through a little bit of that. Sure. That's a, that's a great question. So we've got some costing software that's uh, essentially been approved by the IRS. I, I wouldn't say approved by the IRS, but that's accepted by the IRS. And so what we're looking for is we go into a building and we say, okay, yeah, there's carpet in this building. How much square footage of carpet? And is it high grade, low grade, or mid grade carpet? And we'll, we'll make that determination. Again, that's a judgment call on our side on which category it goes in. But then once we've identified that category, then the costing software says, okay, carpet in this part of the country that was installed in this year is worth you know, you know, $8 a square foot or what have you. And so it puts the value to the carpet. And then that is how we segregate out those different costs. Same thing with asphalt. You know, We'll look and say, try to determine the square footage of the asphalt, and then we have a value or a cost we put to that asphalt that, um, again, it's, it's all done through a, a costing software. So there is a standard there that you have to, to basically rely on there. I'm assuming, though, if it is new construction, you have actual cost. Is, that, is this true, or do you still go by a, an average standard? No. So, yeah, on new construction, we do get construction documents that will have everything broken out. Sometimes there is still some modeling that goes into those, depending on how detailed the contractors were in their costing. You know, sometimes they might just have a line item that says flooring, and it just has one value there, you know, flooring $100,000. We then have to determine, okay, well, there was ceramic tile in this building as well as carpet. So we have to, you know, ceramic tile, believe it or not, according to the IRS, is a 37, excuse me, 39-year asset, where carpet is a five-year asset. So the idea is that ceramic tile lasts a lot longer than carpet. And so sometimes we do have to model, even when we have actual costs, to try and pull out, because of the lack of detail, we do have to put some thought and some modeling into how we determine those. We'll be right back after a brief announcement. Are you a busy professional, passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steve Tucker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steedtalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. Well, interesting. So, the time-consuming nonetheless, uh, no matter how you look at that particular thing. Yeah. But you can do this for existing, you can do it for new construction, you can actually do this for actually anybody. Whether they have been holding the property for five, ten years, and they all of a sudden realize, hey, we could, get in, we could be depreciating these uh, at an accelerated rate, you can go in and do that. Or do you have to do it at the time of a purchase? No, that's a great question, Alan. So it's great because cost segregation is extremely flexible. So you can do it. We do have some investors, they purchase the property, they send us the closing statement. We go look at the property. We do the cost segregation study the year they purchase. It. We've also got clients that own a portfolio of properties and they kind of pick and choose each year which property they're going to use or properties they're going to use based on their income level and what type of deduction they need. 
So the IRS actually, like you mentioned, allows you to go back and do what we call a look back or a catch-up study. So you may have owned it since 2007 and it's 2021 tax year. We can go back, do a study on that. There's a, a form, a 3115 tax form that we provide as part of our service. And it basically tells the IRS, hey, I've been taking my standard straight line deduction. I'm now going to accelerate my depreciation. Here's the difference in those two numbers. And you get to drop that difference on your current tax return without ever having to amend any prior year's tax return. So it's great, like I said, to kind of just keep, you look at your income every year, you've got a portfolio of properties, you say, okay, I made 400,000 of income this year. How do I get that down to 80,000? Oh, I need 320,000 of deduction. Okay, well, I've got these five properties. I can pick and choose which of those properties I use to accelerate the depreciation and get me down to that uh, manageable tax bracket. So one of the few tax planning tools out there that, that is that flexible, that gives you the ability to take it in any given year. So if you come to a year and you actually do not need the cost segregation, you just haven't had the income that you anticipated or, or whatever reason, can you go back to the standard after having been on an accelerated uh, plan? No. So once you, once you establish the, once you take your accelerated deduction, it does go through the life of the asset. So you're going to be on that schedule until you sell the property or exchange the property down the road. But there are ways to manage those deductions. You know, recently, well, I guess it hasn't been so recently, but we did have the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, the Trump tax plan where cost segregation and depreciation was basically put on steroids through something called bonus depreciation. And so bonus depreciation is creating massive deductions that people are able to use to offset their tax liability. However, it's creating such big deductions that a lot of people can't absorb those deductions in one year. And so there are some tools that allow us to kind of manage these deductions. You can opt out of bonus depreciation, for example. So instead of taking 100% bonus, you may take zero bonus, or you can even opt into 50% bonus. And so you can kind of structure these deductions to really maximize and manage your tax brackets. Again, you can opt out of bonus. You can actually opt out by class life. And what that means, Alan, is basically you've got some people will say, okay, well, I'm not going to hold my building for 15 years. So I'm going to take 100% bonus depreciation on my 15-year assets and let my five and seven-year assets play out over five and seven years. And that really kind of spreads out your deduction and allows you to manage that. And maybe I'll just take a step back, Alan, but bonus depreciation, all that is, is when we segregate into five, seven, or 15-year categories, 100% bonus depreciation, all that means is you get to take 100% of your five-year deductions all in the first year, mm. where normally you would take that five-year that five year asset, divide up the value over five years, and write off a portion of it each year over five years. But the 100% bonus allows you to take 100% of that in year one. So you're essentially front-loading somewhere around 30% into the first year. So massive, massive deductions, but Again, the nice thing is, is the IRS allows us to manage those and kind of spread them out if needed. If you're, you know, if you're making $20 million and you've got a million dollars of deduction, then just use it all that year, right? It's not going to make a difference. Use it now. Um, but if you need to, you are able to kind of stagger those deductions and manage those to, to maximize your tax savings. Yeah. Well, uh, tell us here a little bit about what is the 179D energy credit and how do we get that? Yeah. So the 179D energy credit, that's for commercial buildings. 
It could also be for residential over three stories, so apartment buildings over three stories. But it's a dollar eighty per square foot tax deduction based on the efficiency of the building. And so there's some standards that we compare your building to and say, okay, you just built this building. It's typically on new construction or heavily renovated properties. So if you go in and you got a place down to the studs and you put in new insulation, new heating and air, new windows, new lights, um, it may qualify. But most often we um, work with clients who are, are newly constructing commercial buildings. And again, we'll look at three different components. There's a 60 cent lighting component, a 60 cent mechanical component, and a 60 cent envelope component. And we'll look at those three different things and say, okay, are the, are the items in the building more efficient than a, a standard, I believe it's 2006, it might be 2011. But we look back and say, okay, it's got to be 50% more efficient than this standard. If it is, you'll get the 60 cents for that component. So for example, if you've got LED lighting and it's very efficient, we'll go in, you might qualify for the 60 cents of of lighting credit. And then we'll look at the mechanical and say, okay, let's look at the the HVAC system. Is it more energy efficient than than the past standards? If so, you'll get another 60 cents. So a total of $1.80, the last one being the envelope of the property, the windows, the insulation. So we look at all those, we model it. Again, we've got some software that helps us model that And then we either issue the certificate saying, yes, you are eligible for the full $1.80, or maybe you're just eligible for $0.60 per square foot or $1.20 per square foot. But it's really one of the more underutilized credits out there. It's not a credit, excuse me, deduction. One of the more underutilized deductions out there available to developers and builders. So just wanted to touch base on that real quick. Okay, so it's a deduction, not a credit. Correct. And I, I mean, it's available to rehabbers, not just uh, not just developers. Is that right? It, um... Yeah, yeah. If they're rehabbing commercial buildings, remember it is for commercial. There's another a program or another energy credit program. I think you we're going to talk about here in a moment called 45L, and that's available for residential. But the 179D is strictly for commercial buildings or apartment buildings over three stories. And like I said, if you were to buy an existing yeah. apartment building that was and fully renovate it, you may qualify for that credit. Excuse That's me, interesting. They put a three-story limit on that and, and not a unit limit. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's interesting to me. Yeah. I can't imagine what their reasoning was. Anyway, that's strange. Well, let's talk about the 45L energy credit as well here. Yeah. So the 45L energy credit is a similar, this is an actual credit. So 179D is a deduction. The 45L okay. is an actual dollar-for-dollar dollar tax credit. It's up to $2,000 per door. So let's say you've got a fourplex, that would be an $8,000 credit if the units qualify. And again, we're looking at things like insulation, heating and air, the windows in the building. And so we'll run some modeling based on that criteria. And if you qualify, you essentially get a $2,000 credit per door. Again, this is for residential. This works for all your builders who are building single family rental homes, duplexes, triplexes. Even large apartment buildings, again, if they're under three stories, are eligible for the 45L energy credit. Um, and so that one is even more underutilized, I believe, than the 40 or the 179D. The 45L kind of went away for a while and then it came back. And so I, I don't know that all investors are aware that it's come back and it's eligible again. And so I think that's why it's one of the reasons why it's underutilized. But um, again, if you're Building any residential units, senior housing, student housing, single family homes, duplexes, triplexes, those types of things, 
definitely worth looking at because that's, again, a dollar for dollar tax credit. And I will mention, Alan, there is talks. Part of the first proposal that came out of the Ways and Means Committee did talk about increasing those deductions on the 45L going from 2000 to 5000 per door. And then on the 179D, it was going from $1.80 to $5 per square foot. Now, nothing's been passed, but just something to keep an eye on as we as they work through these new tax laws, if that stuff does get passed, that's a, a significant increase over what's currently available. And so, so this is pre what, 2000, what did you say? 2005, 2010, I can't remember what you said, the post standard. Oh yeah, so standard. Well, we, we look back, so there's this, it depends on the year and the tax code in the year. So there's certain standards that you have to be 50% more efficient than certain years. And so that's part of what our modeling does is put a value to those and say, okay, Back in 2006, buildings were this efficient. This is the baseline. You've got to be 50% more efficient than, than what those results were. And so the 45L, you can only go back three years because it, you know, you'd have to go back and amend it prior to your tax returns. So if you've built anything in the last three years, you may be eligible to go back, make the amendment, and take that $2,000 credit per, per door. Um, the nice thing about the 179D is it, it can also be uh, rectified through that 3115 tax form. And so really you can go back um, quite a bit farther. You, you know, you don't have to worry about the three-year amending window. You can go back quite a bit farther on the, the 179. I can't imagine that uh, developers or even rehabbers would be, would not be able to meet that uh, 50% efficiency rate because things have just become so much more energy efficient over the last few years, I would think it would be fairly easy to meet that. Yeah, you know, it is a lot of counties require just the requirements from certain counties will will put you over that limit in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. um, we have run across some buildings that don't qualify in different parts of the country just because of the climate. They don't need certain types of insulation or mechanical units, you know, and they don't need to be a certain efficiency based on the climate alone. So that is one of the hindering factors we have found. But for the most part, especially on the 179D, most new construction will qualify. Again, does need to be evaluated by a third party, but um, there's a good chance if you're constructing new office buildings, whatnot, that they would qualify for at least a portion of that dollar eighty credit. I would, I would think they would. Well, Eric, this is just really good, uh, valuable information, and you just have a really uh, good knack here for making hard-headed people like me understand these things. Oh, uh, thank So tell us how we can get in touch with you and uh, learn more. Yeah, absolutely. So the best way to get in touch is through our website. So we have a corporate website. It's www.costsegsegauthority.com. And on there, and there's a couple of places on there where you can request information. One thing that we like to do, Alan, is we like to provide a, a free benefit analysis to anybody who's interested in doing a cost segregation study. And so we'll look at your property before ever engaging or ever charging anything to determine whether or not it's a good candidate. And we'll also give you an idea of what the expected tax savings would be for you on that property. So that way you can then have the information, go sit down with your tax preparer, your CPA and say, hey, I've got you know a couple hundred thousand of income this year. I really don't want to pay taxes. I've got these deductions through these real estate activities. How can we maximize this? How do we utilize this to, to offset my uh, tax liability? So like I said, feel free to reach out to us via that website. It's got our contact information on there. It's got my contact information on there, as well as the information needed if you'd like us to put together one of those benefit analysis. Do you have a better idea of what your properties would be? 
Oh, excellent. Well, Eric, do you work all over the country? We do. Yep. We've done studies in all 50 states. Usually if it's a Hawaii project, I go do the site visit myself. If it's <laughs> South Dakota, I send uh, one of my coworkers out there to do those projects. So uh, yes, we do work in all 50 states. So how about the territories? Yes. So we've actually worked outside of the country as well. So the territories, we've, we've done properties in Canada, Mexico. So any property where you're paying U.S. tax dollars on it is eligible for custody. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Wow. Yeah. Well, Eric, I've got one last question, and this sure. is really a personal question, and that is, share with us one of your most difficult setbacks in life. How did you come through that time, and what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, that's, a, that's another great question. You've got good questions here, Alan. I think the, one of the biggest setbacks was I was 18 years old. I was just out of high school and on my way to college and didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. So I thought, well, doctors make good money. I'll be a doctor. I think most kids have gone through that phase where we're looking not so much at what it is, but but the money or the output of that. And so I'm like, hey, doctors make good money. I'm going to go be a doctor. So I started off in school. I did some pre-med classes. And then I really determined that, yeah, I don't like science. And doctors is not what I want to be. So then for a, a year or two, it, it actually, I was on the six-year plan up at the University of Utah. And so, but it took me that long to really figure out what I like to do. And numbers have always come easy to me. Math has always been fairly easy for me. Can't write a paper to save my life. Takes me hours to put together an email, but numbers come easy. And so I, I always wanted to do something with math. So I went in and in turn got my accounting degree, but it was a lesson that I learned that I, I always talk to my kids about. It and I, I tell them, listen, don't, we all have to work. That's the society we live in, right? Um, nothing comes for free. So we all have to work. So find whatever your passion is and, and stick with it. And be, if you want to be a car mechanic, be the best car mechanic that's out there. Open your own shop, be an entrepreneur, you know, whatever it is you want to do. If you want to, you know, I got a son, I think most of our sons at 14 years are playing video games now. And I'm like, you know what, if that's what you want to do, son, be the best damn video game player there is and, and go make video games. There's jobs in that field. And so hopefully I can teach the, in, in them and, and kind of, I learned myself later on in life, but just really find your passion before you start your career. Find out we all have to work. So make sure that your, whatever your passion is, whatever your career path is, it's something that you love to get up to do every day. And in saying that, my kids joke and say, dad, I always tell them that story. I said, kids, you need to go do something you enjoy. And they're like, dad, did you, when you were younger, did you, is that your passion, you know, <laughs> working and selling cost segregation studies? And I said, uh, you know, I, I didn't even know what cost segregation was when I was 18, but I will say I do enjoy my job. And it's basically because I get to work with people and solve problems. So I love working with people. I love solving problems. And so whenever you can tell somebody, hey, I know you've, you've got that check ready to write out to the IRS for 100 grand, and you can say, hey, I can eliminate that. That's very rewarding. And so anyways, that's a, a long answer to your question, but hopefully that answered it. A good answer and an inspiring answer. <laughs> uh, enjoyed having you, Eric. A pleasure meeting you. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. 
Sea Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at SeaTalker.com.